Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. And this morning, I would like us to embark on a new series as I concluded our last series that I was preaching in December, the series on the need for fundamentals. And the primary uh, study was from the Sermon on the Mount. This morning, I would like us to start another series that I hope will take us through the year 2024 and um, will give us a theme that we can kind of be thinking about Um, For this series of lessons, our primary study is going to come from the book of James. Uh, I know I've said this several times, but I thoroughly enjoyed uh, leading the series on the Sermon on the Mount for just my own personal growth and my personal ability to study that text and read that text over and over uh, for over a year. It really was very beneficial to me, and I certainly hope it was for you, and I hope again as we do yet another series, that it gives us a consistent text to focus on. Something that, for this year, we can read over and over, and we can gain um, many lessons um, that really uh, make for a great segue to the Sermon on the Mount. Because we're going to see, as we go through this study, there are many connections to uh, the Sermon on the Mount from the letter of James, and a major focus on just practical Christian living, um, how we should make a primary goal of our own spiritual growth and maturity and becoming complete in God's Word and being the people that God would want us to be. The great value of following through in our words and our actions and our faith must have works and that we have to be doers of God's Word and not just hearers only. And both texts, both the Sermon on the Mount and this letter from James will continue to center around this critically important topic of relationships and how key that relationships are for us to be acceptable before God. And I don't remember exactly the amount of time that's passed now since the the three, four men began this rotation of preaching, but it's been a decent amount of time now and I will say that from, from my own personal study and preparation and, and presenting lessons um, that has certainly deepened in this effort, the one thing that continues to come to my mind is this point about relationships. It just seems like it comes up over and over throughout God's Word. And of course, first and foremost is our relationship to God. And that has to be right uh, before God. But it's the relationship with others that just continues to come up constantly in my study of God's Word and as I prepare lessons to preach. And what I've really concluded is that these relationships are what provide us the opportunity to live our faith, to be like Christ, to show the love and mercy to others that God so lovingly showed us. 
It is the opportunities that we need to evangelize, as we spoke about on Wednesday night. And we cannot do these things without these relationships in our life. And that we are making the effort to build new relationships and find new relationships so that we can identify and live our faith out every day and demonstrate to God the works that will come from our faith that James will certainly talk about. And we are living in a world where more and more uh, the relationships seem to be disappearing and the interactions with others are disappearing. Think about how so much of what we do now can be done with little to no interaction at all. We can have all of our groceries delivered and never interact with anybody. And they're all delivered at our doorstep. And, you know, um, not to put my kids on blast, but they, they're real funny about when they have their food delivered. Now, they can't go open the door. They're, the guy's still standing there. You know, you got to wait till they leave, right? I'm like, well, why? I just want to open the door and, and say hi to them. No, 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 don't open the door. Wait till they leave, right? And that's just, you know, because it's, it's easy, right? You don't have to interact with anybody. And the same can be true with food and groceries and and even our jobs. How many of us, especially after COVID, began working at home? And we work from a computer and we have little to zero interaction with anybody. But God did not design us to be that way. He said it's not good for man to be alone. He designed us to be out and to be interacting with others and to to have relationships with one another and to build each other up and and to strengthen each other and encourage each other and certainly to evangelize and to be a light to others as well. And so like Jesus did, and as James will emphasize, the importance of good relationships and building new relationships is something we have to be engaged in as Christians. So... Let's begin today with really just an overview and some background on the book of James. And then the next time that I preach, we'll begin more at the beginning of James 1 and start working our way through this letter. Um, That, by the way, I listened to this uh, as well, and we talked about the Sermon on the Mount being about 15 minutes. And so I was just curious as I listened to it, so I timed it, and it's about 18 minutes minutes, 30 seconds, you know, it's depending on how fast you read or uh, what setting you have as you listen. So really not a lot longer than the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, you know, just a two to three minutes longer. And so again, something that you can easily do daily if you wanted to, or listen to part of it daily um, as if you wanted to, and, and again, get gain some great lessons from as you listen to this all year long. It makes sense that this letter... We have so many connections to the words of Jesus since the author is James, the brother of Jesus, or the half-brother of Jesus. So I want to start this morning and spend a little bit of background about James, the brother of Jesus. And just thinking about what it must have been like to be the half-brother, the physical brother of Jesus. And to watch him grow up, and we don't know the exact, obviously, difference in ages, uh, but uh, certainly would have spent a great deal of time with Jesus. Thinking also about having Mary and Joseph as your parents and what that must have been like and maybe some of the benefits you might think that that would have brought upon uh, James and his brothers and sisters, but that they necessarily didn't take advantage of, as we'll see in a couple of points here um, 
when we get to that. So first off, we are identified in Matthew 13 and Mark 6 that Jesus did have brothers and sisters. And in Matthew 13, starting in verse 53, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his, his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Nor did he do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now we'll talk a little bit more about this being offended and this lack of belief in an upcoming point. But first and foremost, we're identified that, again, Jesus did have physical brothers and sisters and James was one of them. Another point that we can make about James was that he was a, a strong leader at the church in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 15, and we won't read this entire chapter, it's very lengthy, but I think most of us are familiar with the context of what's going on. But James is mentioned, and he's one of the leaders. And he's one of the men who stand up and speak on this issue. And as you recall, in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas have gotten into some dispute with some men from Judea. And the dispute is over the teaching of circumcision, and whether or not circumcision is needed to be saved. And of course, Paul and Barnabas are stating that it's not required, and these men from Judea are trying to say, you must be circumcised in order to be saved. So this dispute leads them to an agreement that they will take this matter to Jerusalem, and they will take it before the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. James, the brother of Jesus, is one of those leaders. We know first that Peter stands and he speaks. We know then Paul and Barnabas will speak on the behalf of the teaching that they were engaged in. And then James, in chapter 15, verse 13, it says, And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. And he goes on to quote prophets from the Old Testament that would prove that Gentiles were to be included amongst God's people. So you might say, well, wait a second, how do we know for sure that is the same James? Well, Paul is going to confirm this later in a letter to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1 and part of chapter 2, Paul is writing this letter to them and recalling this event of when he goes to Jerusalem and um, they are having this discussion about circumcision. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says that after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Verse 19. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Moving over to Galatians chapter 2. Look what it says about James here. Verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles, and that they to be circumcised. Paul here confirms that this is the James who's the brother of Jesus, one of the leaders at the church in Jerusalem, one who led 
a very important discussion on this need to be or not to be circumcised. So it's clear from the Bible that James is the brother of Jesus, that James um, was a strong leader in the church at Jerusalem. And history also backs up many of these things about James as well. So you can go to different historians and you can see a couple of other things that are brought up about James that would identify his strong leadership and service to God. One of the points that history makes that about James is that he was a great man of prayer. And he was known, or at least, you know, whether this was just a, a, a nickname or some sort of, uh, you know, abbreviated term about him, to have knees of Campbell, a Campbell, or calloused on his knees. So whether he literally had those or not, the point was that James spent a lot of time on his knees in prayer. He was a great man of prayer, and certainly he's going to talk about prayer and the need for it in this letter. Second was that James was martyred. He was killed for teaching the gospel, for standing for the gospel message. And again, history is not 100% sure on how he was killed, but there's a couple of beliefs on this. One was that he was beaten to death by clubs. Other accounts say that he was taken to the highest point of the temple and thrown to the ground. And then some actually incorporate both of these, that he was taken to the highest point of the temple, he was thrown to the ground, and that did not actually kill him. And so they came and they either completed the killing of him with the beating of clubs or, or stoning him to death from that point. And then again, and these are all historical accounts, so they, they may not be 100% sure, they're not from the Bible. Um, but another historical account says that James, at his death, used the words, forgive them, for they know not what they do, which would be the words of his brother, Jesus, at the cross. So it seems to all make sense. Jesus is your brother, and you spend a great deal of time growing up with him. We know, and we could go back to the early accounts of the Gospels about Jesus as a young child, teaching in the temple, and then being astonished and him growing in his understanding. So we know at a young age, Jesus demonstrated great wisdom and understanding of the will of his Father and of the law. And so as a brother of Jesus, what great uh, knowledge you would have gained being around him. Again, Mary and Joseph are your parents. And yes, they're human and they're not perfect, but we know that God selected them to be the parents of Jesus for a reason. And they had demonstrated great faith and trust and love and devotion to God. And we know that several times Mary is spoken about in this way as she's raising Jesus and she's, will often say, pondering these things in her heart. And this is your mother, a mother that's most likely teaching you the law, teaching you to read the old law and to know what it has to say. And as we read through James, you probably notice that it's very familiar to Proverbs. Many short little sections, many little just nuggets of wisdom and, and practical Christian living and usually included with some sort of illustration, visual illustration. Well, where, where would James get that? Well, he most likely studied Proverbs for himself and I could just see, I could 
you know, again, speculate and visualize Mary and, and James and, and these children sitting around her as she would read the Proverbs to, their, to her children. And what Jesus might have referenced as well about some of these. And obviously he was familiar with the law well enough to use the prophets to demonstrate that the Gentiles were to be accepted. So, certainly, James seems to be a good, God-fearing man who served in the kingdom. But James was not always that. He was not always the strong leader in the church that we just demonstrated from the scripture and from history. Nor did he always believe his brother. We can see in John chapter 7, in verses 1 through 5, that actually his brothers did not believe him. And we saw in the earlier text that we read in Matthew 13, it didn't specifically say brothers, but it did make it seem that everyone in the hometown of Jesus were offended by him. They did not believe him and his teaching. They questioned where he got his ability to perform these miracles and to have this knowledge and this wisdom. But in John 7 verse 1, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe him. So they're somewhat challenging Jesus to go into Judea for this feast. And Jesus is not wanting to go there because the Jews are seeking to kill him. But verse 5 clearly tells us that his brothers did not believe him. So the hometown, his home family, had rejected him. They did not believe him. And that would include James. So what changed for James? We don't really get any indication as to why James changed, why he became this strong leader in the church, why he spread the gospel message. But we do have a couple things that might help us understand why, and we don't really get much mention of the brothers again until later on in Acts and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is Paul, of course, writing to Corinth, and he is making the point in this text that Jesus was resurrected and that he was seen by many. And in verse 7, it mentions one specific person that saw Jesus. And after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. We know Paul had some sort of relationship with James, We know that they met there in Jerusalem at that meeting over circumcision. We know that Paul writes about him in the letter to the Galatians. We don't know much more about that relationship, but we know that Paul makes it known here that Jesus, after he was resurrected, saw many people, but he also was seen by James. And again, it would be speculation, but you just wonder what that interaction must have been like. For a brother who doubted, who didn't believe in you, 
And now you see your brother who was crucified on the cross and killed. Now he is resurrected in front of you. That certainly would have been a powerful scene and would have caused any of us to question whether we believed in Jesus. And certainly it could have caused James to change how he felt about Jesus and his teaching. We're also told in Acts that James and Jesus' brothers were there waiting in the upper room for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So we know in Acts 1 that Jesus has told them, go back to Jerusalem, go and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So it certainly seems like this event, the resurrection, seeing his brother raised from the dead, would have had a major impact on his mind and caused him to change how he felt about his brother and more importantly, how he felt about Jesus, the Son of God. So how does James open this letter? Seems like it would be fitting to say James, the brother of Jesus, writes to you. But that's not what he writes. And he never gives any indication, really, that he is the brother of Jesus. But what does James say about himself in that opening verse? Instead, he calls himself a bondservant of God. This word bondservant meant slave, but not just any type of slave. This would have been a permanent position of servitude. A position you would never get out of. And this is how James chooses to identify himself. A permanent servant of God. So, James himself, just knowing him, knowing his background, knowing all the things that he has gone through in his life, being a brother of Jesus, being a son of Mary and Joseph, having his doubts, not believing. And, and we don't know a lot of details, but we can certainly feel for how James must have felt when he finally did believe. And he had questioned his brother. He had questioned the Christ and he had doubted him. And now he believes. And now he has an attitude of humility and service. These alone are great lessons for us in this just simple looking at James, the person. <clears throat> Our second slide this morning is just a little bit about the audience and the purpose of this letter that James writes. In this opening verse, James 1.1 James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. So this twelve tribes would signify the Jewish background, but 19 times throughout this letter, James will refer to them as brethren. So we know that they are more than just Jews, but they were brethren. They were brethren in Christ. They were Jews who had become Christians. And that's who he's writing to. Jewish Christians who had been scattered abroad. So unlike many letters, 
that are written to a specific church. This was written to Christians. Yes, primarily Jewish Christians. And that was, the at that time, would have been the primary, the largest amount of Christians, the, those that were Jews that were converted. Certainly Gentiles would begin to be converted and added at a high rate as well. But this is the purpose of this letter, to reach out to these Jewish Christians, to teach them, to encourage them in how to be religious, how to be like Christ, how to be acceptable before God, and how to be perfect and complete. The word religious is only found twice in the Bible, and it's really only found once in the Bible in this context. The other time you'll find it is when Paul is in Athens in front of all the idols and um, in Acts chapter 17 and he uses the word that I uh, believe you to be very religious. And there it's more of a, a superstitious or a, a, a reverence to gods uh, and now that word is used. The word here found in chapter 1 is a, a Greek word, threskos, which means careful of the external of divine service. Careful of the externals of divine service. A fearing of God, a worshiping of God. And we'll obviously spend a lot more time on that word later on, and especially the verse that follow, the words that follow that, that word and what it means to be religious according to James. But this is what James is, is trying to get them to think about. That they're no longer just Jews. They are Christians. And again, you go back and you connect to what Jesus said. When he said things like, you have heard, but now I say. Again, trying to get them to understand that it's deeper than just being of some lineage. It is about a commitment. It's about giving your life to God, to Christ to be acceptable, to have a heart that is acceptable before God. The letter teaches them practical Christian living. It will address how to deal with things like trials and trouble and tribulation and, and how to endure and overcome things, the value that comes with overcoming and enduring. At the time that James was a leader in Jerusalem, in that church, there was great famine, there was great poverty, there was great oppression and there was great persecution that was going on. So this would have been an invaluable lesson that he was writing and sending out to these Christians. Again, so many connections between James' letter and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the letter, as I said before, is written in a style that's very similar to Proverbs. Short, simple wisdoms, many uh, concepts and lessons and, and good visual illustrations to help explain them. And this, again, makes sense. James growing up with Jesus and spending time with him and studying the Proverbs would make sense why he would write in this fashion. <clears throat> the key theme, which I've already hit on a little bit, seems to center around this aspect of becoming perfect and complete and to be a doer of the perfect law of liberty. James uses the word perfect or complete seven times throughout this letter, and most of them 
are found right in chapter 1. So what does this word perfect mean? Does it mean sinless? Pure perfection? No, we know that. Cannot be that. We're told many times in God's word that we're not perfect. And we've all sinned. The only Christ is sinless. So what does this word mean? Again, it's a Greek word, teleos, which means of full age, full grown, maturity, finished. That is what that word means. So it doesn't mean that I'm perfect without sin, without mistake, without error. It is what I'm trying to accomplish. It is an end that I'm trying to reach. I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to mature spiritually. This word is used in a couple other areas that we're familiar with. Hebrews in chapter 5 and verse 12. And I won't read this entire text because Trevor just read it for us. But again, verse 14. But the solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Same word. Perfect. Complete. This teleos word. Paul, then, in the Ephesian letter, in chapter 4, and again, I won't take the time to read all this, because it'll take too long, but we're familiar with it. Verse 11, he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So again, this perfect man is that same word, that teleos. So this is our goal. We're striving to become perfect. We're striving to become complete and mature, acceptable before God. And the Hebrew writer tells us this is so that we can be teachers of the word. We can evangelize. It tells us also in Hebrews so that we could discern good and evil. How important it is that we can tell the difference between good and evil. And only a mature Christian can do that. And in Ephesians, the effort is to be more like Christ. To be stable. We didn't read the rest of the text, but it talks about not being tossed to and fro. And that we won't be deceived. And of course, James will use it in connection to trials and overcoming and becoming more complete and becoming doers of God's word. And of course, Jesus used the same word in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And this is again the section of, You have heard, but I say, and he goes through several items, and then he ends in verse 48 saying, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Same word. Mature. Complete. Finished. That is the goal we're trying to reach. And finally, the last part of the theme that that James hits on, I think, is just throughout the letter, is the idea of being a doer of the word. And this is James 1, 22-25. We won't read this this morning. We'll get to this later on in another lesson. But this idea of, especially verse 25, the verse we had in the opening screen, look into the perfect law of liberty, Same word there, perfect, complete, mature. And continue in it. And not be a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. 
And I think and believe that as we go through this letter together, all the topics, all the different subject matters, they really can all come back to that basic point. Are we a hearer only? Or are we a doer? Are we looking into the perfect law of liberty? Are we examining ourselves? And are we doing them? And finally and quickly, and again, I've got to go through this quick, so hopefully don't feel any need to copy these down. If you would like this breakdown of this outline, I can give it to you. But just a quick outline of the five chapters that we'll be going through. Chapter 1, which is really the, the longest chapter and, and just has so much packed into it, is just a great introduction to all these different themes we'll see throughout the letter. And really the things that are most needed to be this mature and complete Christian. James is going to make the point about life being hard, but that again, it's good for us, it will make us complete, and we should take joy in that. That we're imperfect, fractured people that only God can make whole. That wealth and poverty are both fleeting, and we need to have the proper perspective on those things. That God is good and generous and trustworthy. And that God's law is perfect. And when we do it, we become perfect and complete. Chapter 2, he'll talk about the issue of favoritism, and not to show favoritism, but to love all men. He's going to go into great detail about faith and what genuine, true faith, acceptable faith is. That faith must be uh, have works with it. Chapter 3, he'll talk a lot about the tongue the dangers of the tongue and our need to control it. Um, he'll talk about wisdom, the true wisdom from above heaven and the earthly and false wisdom that we need to avoid. In chapter 4, he's going to talk about how our heart becomes and can become divided and that when we are friends with the world, we're an enemy of God. And instead, we should be resisting Satan and the world and drawing near to God. He'll talk about judgment and judging and condemning others. He'll begin in this chapter talking about wealth and the arrogance of wealth and the dangers, as he'll continue in chapter 5, of wealth. And also in chapter 5, he'll talk about the need for patience and endurance as we eagerly await the coming of the Lord. That we're to be a man of our word, our yes be yes, our no be no. That we're to be faith-filled, prayerful people, just as he was. Praying for one another, encouraging. And of course, this is where we get the phrase, the effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. And he ends this chapter with the need and the encouragement to restore others. That there's going to be those that are lost. And what a blessing it is to go to them and to turn them back to the truth. So, Lord willing, this will be our focus, at least for as I'm preaching, this year, 2024. And I hope that you'll be able to, um, with me, read through this letter that James writes several times and gain some of the great lessons that James has for us to learn from. Again, just 18 and a half minutes to listen to this book every day if we wanted to doesn't take a great deal of time to listen to it, to read it, and to learn these wonderful lessons. 
Where are you this morning in your effort to be perfect, to be full-grown spiritually, to be matured? Maybe this morning you haven't even taken the first step. And you still need to admit that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, guess what? James was in that position at one point. He didn't believe. He doubted his own brother that he was the Son of God. But maybe this morning something you've heard has sparked you to realize that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. And I need to confess that, and I need to repent, and I need to be baptized for remission of my sins. Or maybe you're like many of us here this morning, and we're just striving to push towards that completion, that maturity, and we're striving to look into that perfect law and to be doers. If you have a need this morning in your effort to be perfect and complete, please come forward now as we stand and as we sing.